And I said this morning I had two messages, and my mind was in a quandary as to which one I would preach on. Turn with me tonight to uh, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to break into the chapter and we're going to start reading at verse 14. Psalm 139, and of course, the very reading of this chapter will give you an indication then of which um, sermon I have opted for. We'll keep the one for the empty seats for another night. Psalm 139, verse 14, let's hear the word of the Lord. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully healed. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody man, for they speak against thee wickedly. And thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God. And know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this evening is taken from Psalm 139 verses 17 and 18. It reads as follows, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. And my theme this evening is entitled, The Precious Thoughts of God. Now tonight I want to commence a wee study on the precious things of God. Did you know that there are 72 references to the word precious in the Bible? What does the word precious mean? According to the dictionary, it means an object of great value. Something that's not to be wasted or treated carelessly. Something not to be thought of lightly or easily disregarded. Now, we're going to ask ourselves the question. We'll ask it to the Lord. Well, Lord, what is precious to you? What's of great value to you? And of course the Lord could answer with these 72 references and in every one of them he could tell us this is what's of great value to me. This is what is not to be treated carelessly or to be thought of lightly or disregarded because this is indeed something that's most precious. 
I know there's many things in the Bible described as being precious. Now, think with me for a moment as we tease this out a wee bit. Think of the preciousness of Christ. Doesn't the Bible say in 1 Peter 2 and 1, Unto you therefore believe, he is precious. And the Lord Jesus Christ is precious to every true born-again believer. Isn't there many tonight to whom Christ means nothing? To whom the name of Christ is but a, a swear word to take on their lips? How many tonight in the multitude of the masses of ungodly men and women think nothing of his person or work? They th see no beauty in him that they should desire him. They, they have no cognizance of who he really is. They would deny even his historicity. But yet, in contrast, every true born-again believer has a love for, a longing after, and a loyalty to Christ. Think of Paul's motto, Philippians 1.21, we'll come to it eventually. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, Christ is of great value to God's people. And we've already preached a sermon on that in days that are past. Think also of the precious blood. Doesn't the Bible talk there in the book of Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and in the verse 19? It makes this tremendous statement, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Doesn't the Bible tell us that the redemption of their souls, that's the people of God, is precious? Why? Because of the price that was paid for their redemption. And the price, of course, is the shed blood. The ground of our redemption is the blood. Doesn't the Bible also speak of precious faith? Second Peter 1 and 1. Precious promises. Second Peter 1 and 4. All 7,300 of them. Doesn't the Bible also speak of precious trials? The trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perisheth. Trials and troubles come, dear folks, according to the mind and will of God. God has a plan, even in the midst of trials. <coughs> Remember, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, What I do now you know not, but ye shall know hereafter. And oftentimes in the midst of the trial we find it difficult to cope. And we wonder, what on earth is God doing? And we can't understand or trace his hand of love or his compassion or care. And yet that very trial is designed not to drive us from God, but to drive us to him, to, to deepen our trust in him. Not to turn away, but to trust in him, even in the darkness and depth of the situation. Did you know that Lamentations 4 and 2 speaks of the precious sons of Zion? Isn't that a marvellous text? In other words, the whole church is precious to the Lord. Isaiah 13 and 12 says, I will make a man more precious than fine gold. Doesn't the Bible speak of the precious ointment that was poured in the head of Aaron, the first high priest? And that anointing oil is a type of the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Doesn't the Bible also tell us in Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The death of saints is precious. Death's an enemy. 
the last enemy, and to those families like the Douglas family and and the Swandell family, and now the Graham family who face bereavement and face real hurt and pain and heartache and sorrow where they find it hard to cope and how many who are widowers tell me that it's hard to cope and how many who are widows tell me it's hard to cope and in the midst of change it's hard to adapt I want to encourage you tonight I want you to look at death not just as death as the last enemy but look at death through the lens of the gospel look at death through the eyes of Jesus Christ yes there's hurt in death But there's also hope in death. There's also happiness in death. Because the Bible says, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. The Bible also talks about the precious fruit of the earth. It also talks in 1 Samuel 3 and 1 that the word of God was precious in those days. Now, there's many more references out of those 72, and I've only whetted your appetite for some of them. What I'm saying tonight is if we ask the Lord, Lord, what is precious to you? What's of intimate value and worth? He can answer these things and many more beside. <coughs> but one of the most amazing that I discovered when I thought of those 72 is found here in Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. Look at the text. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am with thee. Now now think of it. Imagine tonight, ponder this, that God Almighty in heaven is thinking of us. The psalmist here is speaking of the true and the living God. Think of the words, O God. The the, the word translated God here is the Hebrew word El. It's a reference to the mighty God, the God as creator of the ends of the earth. And the mighty God, the creator of the ends of the earth, the one who made the whole universe, the one who controls all events and happenings, the one who holds our lives in his hand, the one who's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, is pleased to think thoughts of Every one of us tonight. Even though he's high and holy. Even though he's the high and lofty one. Not, not mere glances. Not, not just notices us puny little <coughs> sinful people on the earth. Not just looks at us and says oh, oh look at them. But he is thinking of us. God has precious thoughts for all his people. You're familiar with the thought of. God's hand being revealed or God's mind or word being revealed but but think tonight of God's thoughts that's what we're going to meditate upon as we open up this study the precious things of God I want us to think of the precious thoughts of God now a number of things God thinks of us personally Look, look at the text how precious also are thy thoughts unto me O God Remember, David is a child of God. He's an Old Testament believer. He's a sinner saved by grace. He could say, the Lord is my shepherd. And that was the very key to his life. And that's why he had assurance in life. And that's why he had assurance in the face of death. 
He could talk of my Lord, and that's a reference to Jesus Christ. Remember Psalm 110, the Lord, that was God the Father, said unto my Lord, God the Son, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And that was a conversation, of course, that that took place in heaven between Father and Son uh, in the uh, day of resurrection. And notice the words, thy thoughts unto me. Underline the word me. If you turn over there to Psalm 40, you'll get a corresponding reference, Psalm 40 and verse 17. And the psalmist said, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. What does that mean? Surely it means this. Now now listen to me carefully. That God is interested in you tonight. That God is involved as far as our lives are concerned. From the day of our conception to the day of our death. You see, it's not just us as a collective group of people. It's not just the masses of believing humanity. But God is thinking of us and treating us individually. Maybe if I could explain it this way. Remember Paul says, Galatians 2 and 20. The son of God who loved me. Gave himself for me. He was thinking of Christ's love for me. Not just eternally, that was true. Not just freely, not just sacrificially. But he was thinking of Christ's love for me individually. And he was thinking, not only loved me, but gave himself for me. Here's here's the demonstration. Here's the outworking of that. Me. It's as if Paul is thinking, if I was the only sinner in the whole of the universe... The Lord Jesus would have loved me from all eternity and come into the world to bleed and die for me. In other words, he took from that. He has an interest in me. He's involved in my life. He's instructing and helping me. And if it's true that he loves us and sent Christ to die for us, then we can back up and think of thy thoughts unto me. See, God is interested in you tonight as a person. He's interested in your situation and your state. He's interested in all that concerns you. He he hears your prayers. He sees your tears. He knows your heartaches. He's conscious of your fears and your worries and your doubts and your burdens. And what's he saying tonight? He's saying, by the way, you're special to me. And and I've an interest in you. and, And you're important to me. And you know what? That's true of every single individual believer. God's thoughts are personal thoughts. We sometimes think of the Lord Jesus as dealing with the crowd and we like to think of the 5,000 and what a marvellous miracle the feeding of the 5,000 was or the marvellous miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 on the seashore of the Lake of Galilee. And of course that's a lot of people. And, of course, the lesson afterwards was, I'm the bread of life. He just didn't do a miracle in a vacuum. It was a reason and a purpose. It was a sign miracle. It was to to teach them about the bread of life. But when you read John 1, we read that the Lord Jesus has a ministry not only to the masses, but to the individuals. Remember how he dealt with Peter whenever Andrew, his brother, brought him? And he said, Thou art... Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. 
Didn't he speak personally to Nathaniel? When there was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Think of Nicodemus, that um, religious leader. And they had a conference at night. Maybe Nicodemus was busy during the day. And he come knocking on the door of the Savior. And you'll read it there in John 3. And it was to Nicodemus, this religious man. Jesus said, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. And then immediately after dealing with this religious man, we find him dealing with a woman at Jacob's well near Sychar outside Samaria. John 4, a very sinful woman, a wicked woman, an ungodly woman. But the Lord Jesus deals with her. And he deals with her in such a way that he brings her to confess her sin and her need of Christ. And glory to God, the woman's got saved. Why did he must needs go through Samaria? Because he was interested in an individual. There was an individual there he was going to save. I, I think of Acts chapter 8. The big revival in Samaria. Philip the evangelist was involved. And yet the Lord Jesus told him to leave the revival and to run to the, the, the a desert, the, the, the Negev. Why? Because there was an Ethiopian eunuch there who was sitting in a chariot reading his Bible who also needed to be saved. See, let's think tonight of this mighty God. This God of absolute majesty who dwells in light unapproachable. This God who is thrice holy. This God, if we were ushered tonight into his presence, would tremble at his feet. Become like dead men and women. The awesome power of God. We, we have really no idea, no cognizance of how great God is. And yet, this mighty God, this El Shaddai, is thinking of us, us sinful creatures. He could have forgotten about us, couldn't he? He could have cast us off out of his sight forever. He could have consigned us to hell. And yet he set his heart, his electing love, his mind on us. The Bible asked the question, Psalm 8 and 4, the psalmist was puzzled that this was information wonderful for him. This is what he said. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou should visit him. Do you know that's repeated five times in the Bible? Job 7, 17. Job 15, verse 14. Psalm 8 and 4. Psalm 114. Or Psalm 144, verse 3. Hebrews 2 and 6. Why? It's all rooted in the electing love of God. God remembered Noah, Abraham, Rachel, Hannah, and a thousand others. And here's the psalmist saying, Thy thoughts unto me. He's already testified. Though poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. I, I'm his child. And he's interested in every one of my cares and concerns. And I can't explain it. It's tied into his eternal love. Let me tell you something else. Now watch this clock here. God thinks of us not only personally, but plenteously. Look at the text. Now, go back to Psalm 139. Look with me at the verse 17. How great is the sum of them. And then he adds, if I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. I want you to think about the beach for a moment. We know we haven't much of a summer, but we're sad that it has rained most of the summer. But if you could think about going to the beach... And getting a little thimble and filling it with sand. Maybe you've got an egg cup with you and you've no thimble because you've brought a, a hard-boiled egg to eat at the beach. 
Maybe it's the child's bucket. Or maybe it's just the sand that is gathered in the motor vehicle um, after you've had a good time in the beach. And then bring that sand in, whether it's the thimble, the egg cup or the bucket, or the residue of the sand in the motor vehicle, and bring it and put it in the table. And gather round the table as a family, and, and let's pretend we'll play a game. Right, children, we're going to count these grains of sand. And you start counting. One, two, three. You get the ten. By the time you get to a hundred, you're exhausted, and you're looking round, and there's still millions of them there on the table. You see, that's what the psalmist is thinking. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. And it's not only one beach I'm thinking of. The White Rocks, of course, are special to me. But all the beaches, not only in the UK, but right around the world. Every place where there's sand. You can imagine that. The psalmist is saying the thoughts of God are above the number of the grains of sand in the world. In other words, it's multitudinous of thoughts. We sang this morning, if you go back to Psalm 40, verse 5. We do love to sing Psalm 40, but think of the words in verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, the work of creation, the work of providence, the work of redemption. And thy thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Isn't that amazing? Then it be asked tonight, how much do you and I think of him? Is he in our thoughts every day? Do we think of him every hour? Or have we only got one or two thoughts? Or do we never think of him at all? You know a sign of a wicked man, a man who's no love for Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us God is not in all his thoughts. And of course, if you're thinking of him, you're being wrought upon and moved by the Spirit of God. Hasn't he promised that he'll not fail us, that he'll not forget us, that he not forsake us. God asked uh, Jeremiah a question, and this is what he said in Jeremiah 2, and in the verse 32, can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? And the reality is they don't. And here's what he says, but we have contrast. Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Can a bride forget her attire? That's to do with the wedding dress. You ladies who are married, the wedding dress is probably still in the cupboard. You've maybe never had it on from your wedding day. Maybe you put it on once a year and you have we prayed around the room and you look at yourself and think, oh, I could still fit into this. This would still do a turn. You try it on your anniversary. Not, not suggesting Sylvia has. Maybe some wouldn't fit back into the wedding dress. But it's still there. And it's still in the, in the wardrobe. Why? Because it, it, it's something that's special. Something that's of sentimental value. Can a bride forget her attire? Can, can, can a, a woman forget her, her ornaments, her, her bracelets and her, and her jewellery? And yet my people have forgotten me. Not yesterday, but many days. And yet this God has a threefold promise. And the promise is, I will not forget thee. I will not feel thee. 
I will not forsake thee. Why? Because God has us in his thoughts. God's thoughts are plenteous. I better hurry on. God's thoughts are piteous. Whenever trials and temptation comes, whenever we're in the depths of despair, how do we often feel? What, what thoughts come into our mind? Isn't it this, that God has forgotten me? That God has forgotten to be gracious? That God is not really interested? That God doesn't care? And we, we question in our mind, does he really love me? If he's really all-powerful, if he's really gracious and merciful, then why has this happened to me? Remember Martha came in from the kitchen and said to him, Master, carest thou not? And she was talking about Mary sitting at his feet. The, the disciples in the boat in the storm in the Sea of Galilee cried out, when he was sleeping, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You see, when the storms of life come and, and we feel God is asleep, I, I want to tell you it's then we begin to think God has forgotten, God has forsaken, God has failed. And of course he hasn't. But that's the way we feel at that moment. I, I often think of those words in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16 and I'll read them to you. This is what the word of God says. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The Lord Jesus was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the Lord Jesus can identify with his people in every sorrow of life. The hymn writer Pen the words in 424 is there anyone can help us and of course the answer tonight is yes there is is there anyone can help us one who understands our hearts when the thorns of life have pierced them till they bleed one who sympathizes with us who in wondrous love imparts just the very very blessing that we need listen to the answer yes there's one only one, the blessed, blessed Jesus. He's the one when afflictions press the soul and waves of trouble roll and you need a friend to help you. He's the one. Didn't the psalmist say in Psalm 103 and in the verse 13, he says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Why? For he knoweth our fear. He remembereth that we are dust. And like, doesn't a mother pity the child when the child's sick? Or if it falls off its bicycle? Or, or playing football hurts its leg or its knee? And they go to mummy. And they tell mummy. Or they go to daddy. And, and, and there's pity there. Well, well, that's the way the Lord is. God's thoughts are piteous. God's thoughts are also patient. You've read in the Bible about the patience of Job. We don't really read about the patience of David, and I'm referring to myself. I'm not a very patient person, and if you have sat with me in the car, you would know that. Uh, I'm thinking of those who are uh, breaking the speed limit because they're not going fast enough, uh, the tractor or the truck, and uh, it can be very slow at times. And I'm saying to myself, muttering under my breath, come on, slow coach, hurry on, especially if I'm in a rush. And, of course, sometimes you just have to sit there and you can't get past. And then I'm thinking to myself, well... What if something happened on up the road? Maybe the Lord is saving me to hold me back for, for a particular reason. 
But we do get frustrated. We do get flustered by things. But I want to tell you, God is never flustered. God is never in a hurry. He bears with us even in our impatience. He knows all about our follies, our shortcomings, our sins, our backslidings. And you think of the forbearance of God with us. You, you, you think of his long suffering to us. See, see, God's thoughts are patient. What does God want for us to be more and more like the Savior? To die more and more unto sin? To, to abound more and more in love? Rooted in true knowledge, the knowledge of him, and sound judgment. And God is patient with his children. Very quickly, God's thoughts are, are powerful thoughts. Over there in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah uh, 29, and in verse 11, uh, the prophet there uh, makes a, a remarkable statement. He said, um, Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace. Isn't that lovely? Not of evil, to give you an expected end. Even in those things that happen that we don't understand. Everything's for a purpose. God's working for his glory. And God's working for our good. God's thoughts are pardoning thoughts. Over there in the book of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 55, um, the, the prophet there uh, says this in verse um, 7 and 8. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God's thoughts are pardoning thoughts. In other words, God sees us in Christ. God sees us through the cross work of Christ. God sees us on the ground of the shed blood. God sees us with the blood mark upon us. Do you know what tonight? I, I really encourage you. In Psalm 111 and in the verse 5, we read this. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. That word mindful is, means his mind is full. Eternally and continually and daily thinking of his covenant with his son Jesus Christ. And, and that's why he won't fail, forsake or forget his redeemed people. God never thinks of us apart from Christ. That's why he doesn't drag up our past sins. That's why he has no remembrance of them. They're under the blood. The Bible asked the question, who shall lay any uh, thing to the charge of God's elect? And, and then it talks about Christ dying and Christ rising again and Christ at the right hand of God and, and Christ that justifies. Remember, we're accepted in the beloved. God sees and thinks of us only in Christ. And as he thinks of us in Christ, he deals with us in that basis. And therefore his thoughts are not only powerful, that his thoughts not of evil but of peace to give us an expected end because his thoughts are pardoning thoughts. And with this we'll finish. His thoughts are perpetual thoughts. I've already read Psalm 111 verse 5. Even mindful of his covenant. 
You see, God is thinking about us tonight. God has always thought of us in Christ. And God will only ever think of us in Christ. And God has thought of us from all eternity. And and God thought about us in time. And, And this psalm, Psalm 119, ties in from the very moment of our conception. For the moment we were we were conceived and then born into the world and began to live out our lives. There never was a time when we were not in his thoughts. And at all times and in every situation, I want you to take this home with you. God is thinking of you. And is not a great deterrent to sin. Is not a great delight to continue to stand with the Lord. Even in the face of difficulty and days of trial. I think of those words in the book of um, Isaiah. And this is what it says. Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, well that's possible. A woman can abandon her baby and we've read of that, we've known of that. They may forget, God says. And that's strange. Listen to these words. Yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God's thoughts are perpetual thoughts. He is, he has, and he always will be. Thinking of us. His mind is full of his covenant. So in every situation and at all times, no matter what you face, just think of this, the precious thoughts of God to me. May the Lord bless you tonight. I thank you for coming. And I trust and pray he'll bless his word as we think over the winter time of the precious things of God.